I am, uh, I'm going to take this off. <laughs> it's, uh, <clears throat> I'm not breaking the law. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm seeing everyone else take it off. I know when Lou was up, he was outside. He said, I'm taking it off, man. <laughs> if uh, Fauci can do it, and uh, uh, Pastor Nick was back with us last week, if uh, he took it off too. If you missed that, uh, all, all the messages get archived um, on our YouTube page, so you can always refer back to them if you ever want to and be blessed in that way. Um, but uh, that was a great time of praise and worship uh, through song. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, just see what the Lord has in store this morning. And I, this is just something that the Lord has been showing me throughout the week. Maria, it's great to see you. Obviously, again, a, a blessing and a, and a, and a miracle, uh, to say the least. Um, you know, but th- this, this body, it really is uh, a resilient life body in Jesus Christ. And, and I'm just uh, so grateful and honored and blessed and privileged to uh, pastor this church. And, um, you know, I, I believe that there are many signs if we're just aware and you see the the liveliness of just this one little part of the Lord's body. And I've said it from the beginning and I'll say it again. The Lord will keep these doors open if He so chooses. And He'll close it if He also chooses. The, the beautiful thing is I truly believe that you saints of God understand that you know all the the things that go on they really go on outside of these doors and it's really what you do i guess what is it monday through saturday when you may not be around each other and the things you do when no one's looking and how you're living and how you're uh revealing Christ to those that you don't even know that you know they're looking at you and so that's a beautiful thing I, I think uh, uh, the church understanding more and more that it's not just as we heard last week what we take in but it's what we give out it's how we live it out it's the action that we take our lives in Christ should be a verb right it should be in action there should be movement there needs to be something going on i'm not saying be a busybody and i'm not saying that work save you but there needs to be the accompanying factor of what we hear what we glean from in the word translated to uh, what we do in our lives in action amen all right with that we are in Acts chapter 26. We are continuing on in this chapter. It's, it's, I, every week when I, I you know, have the privilege again to come up here and, and, and preach, I'm just amazed that it's like, man, that's, that's all the Lord. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many years it's been, almost two years, almost, almost you know, two and a half years, something like that. <laughs> you know, it's new to me. For you old school folks, you know that it's not a big deal that, uh, you know, you may spend uh, a, 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 a considerable amount of time in a book, right? Uh, but I'm just, it's a testament to the Lord, His faithfulness that, you know, I, I, I hope and I pray that you've learned 
a lot and you've grown a lot as we've we've uh, gone through the book of Acts. And, you know, Lord willing, we, we will uh, probably be finishing this book in the next couple months because uh, we only have a couple more chapters left. But uh, nonetheless, we are in Acts chapter 26. We will be going through verses 12 through 23. So when you get there, please stand. We'll go ahead and read uh, God's word. I'll go ahead and pray and we'll get into the message this morning. All right. Acts chapter 26 verses 12 down through 23 and it says in this connection i journey to damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests at midday o king i saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me and when we had all fallen to the ground i heard a voice saying to me in the hebrew language saul Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen, and to those in which I will appear to you. Verse 17, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that may, they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason... The Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you for this depiction of Paul's testimony. It's, it's the gospel in a nutshell. It's everything that we need to know. It's everything that we need to experience in our own personal walks with you. So Father, please speak to us through your word. Uh, this moment. May we, we glean from it. May you give us the ability to rightfully divide it, apply it to our lives. May we see the fruit in our daily interactions with one another and with other people and especially with you. Lord, may you bless this time. Father, we thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, Again, so last week we, we received a very practical word from the Lord. I, I love that portion of Scripture in James where he talked about being, being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry, to look intently into the Word of God 
for it has the power to save your soul. That is a, that's just a beautiful message that, that James gives us on, on how to actually live pr- the practical life of, uh, of a Christian. Because it's easy to say, do these things, but how do we do them? And he gives us the example of how to do this. The greatest example, obviously, of course, that we have to, 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 to glean from and to, to uh, emulate is Jesus Christ. All the Scripture points to Him. And again, praise God that He actually shows us how we can live in Christ, how we can tangibly see these principles played out in our daily lives. And humility... In obedience, they are pivotal. They are pillars in how you are able to access this power, the ability to live out a life of integrity, a life of courage, a life of freedom and joy in Jesus Christ. But it starts with humility and obedience. These things are synonymous with living a successful Christian life. They are both birthed from submission to God in all areas of our lives. And we're going to see that today. I mean, total submission. When you think of that word submission, I was thinking about this when I was getting ready this morning. I'm shaving and, you know, I don't know why, but automatically in my mind it pops in like UFC. (laughs) Submission. Because in our culture, you know, we're not taught to submit. Far from it. We're taught to, if you submit, you're weak. You don't want to submit because you don't want to be overpowered by another man or another person. But that's what the world looks to. And we're looking at God's economy. It's completely the opposite. In order to excel in the Christian life, in God's kingdom, you must submit. Submission is vital. So a lot of that, sometimes we have to unlearn So much of what we've been taught over our lives and what the popular culture tells us how we should be. And we need to follow the Bible's model of how we are to live. And submission is vital. Today, we will again see these principles lived out in the life of the Apostle Paul. As he responds to King Agrippa. Again, sharing his testimony, we get to witness firsthand what a transformed life in Christ really looks like. What a transformed life. Because he was not always Paul. He was not always that apostle that was selfless. He was very much selfish before, as he was Saul, before his conversion. But this is the beautiful thing about the Christian life that you and I get to experience. God bless you if you did sneeze. (laughs) Oh, it's all good. It's all get the inhale in. You know, it's all good. Uh, You know, it's not about comparing, right? We don't have to compare and contrast. Again, that's what the world does. Oh well. I gotta, I gotta measure up. See, sometimes we do that in the in the Christian life. You see, and I and I get it. Paul, he's a he's a great servant, a great man of God, but he's not God. Don't put Paul on a pedestal. So, you know, some people, I, I maybe like Apostle Paul. 
You want to be like Jesus Christ. You look, again, if we are reading and studying our Bibles, Paul was clear. Emulate me as I emulate Christ. He didn't say imitate me because I'm somebody. If you do the studies and you find out, you know, he was short in stature. He may have even had a hump back a little bit, you know. He wasn't tall and brawny and this and that, what the world will regard as handsome and, and, and debonair and all these things. So, again, we look to Jesus. But see, when people say, oh, I got to be like Paul, again, <laughs> comparing and contrasting. But that is not what we are to do in the Christian life. We don't have to do that. You don't need to have a dramatic conversion experience you don't have to have his was dramatic you don't have to have a dramatic conversion experience in christ but this is the caveat you must have an authentic conversion experience it must be authentic you know some people won't 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 have to stand up and say well um you know i was a drug addict and you know i got saved in a halfway house and i was on my way out and i was on my deathbed praise god for those who are were in that position and the lord came down and brought them out of death and saved their souls but not everyone's conversion experience is going to be like that maybe it may be like you know what i i grew up in a in a calm home in a home where i had three square meals and there was no violence around me there was no uh you know bickering and crazy things going on but still your conversion experience must be authentic that's the thing that all sinners alike share is the authenticity of our conversion when it happens and you must have that that is a pivotal moment in every believer's life it's about being conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ and allowing Him to work in and through you with the talents and skills that He has given you. That is what it's about. You see, you don't need to be the next Apostle Paul, but you need to be who God ultimately created you to be. Amen? You need to become that person every day. We should see benchmarks. You should look back on your life and see growth. You should see spiritual maturity. You should see the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing more and more in your life. We must be able to gauge these things. This is what the Bible means when it talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling doesn't mean that our works save us. No, it does not. What it means in the proper context is we must keep short accounts with God. We should be very introspective of how our walk and our relationship with Jesus Christ is shaping up to be. If we simply muse through the Word of God, do not take the time to reflect on our own countenance, on our own heart, the own condition of our character, we are failing to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We must understand there's a great responsibility upon our shoulders as followers of Christ. You know, you can't go back now, right? You know that you know too much. <laughs> when you know too much, when you know the truth, you are responsible for living out that truth before God and before men in such a way that it glorifies your Father in heaven. It's a great responsibility. It's a great honor 
And when we understand that, we will look into our lives in a manner where we will be serious about it. And this is important. When you see these characteristics in, obviously, the Lord Jesus Christ, when you see it in the apostles that were solid in Him, they took their walk with Christ serious. It wasn't just a game. Again, you don't need to be the next apostle Paul. But this is the one thing, and this is a beautiful thing that we all share as believers in Christ. But there should be specific elements in our conversion and our walk that are similar. There should be. And we'll, we'll talk about these as we go through the message. But how the Lord chooses to use you to share the gospel and get the gospel out may look a little bit different. Obviously, we're not riding on camels and donkeys, not in this region of the world. You might be riding in a nice vehicle or have a nice pair of shoes on. But still, the transfer of the message should be the same. It's what you're sharing with the world around you that makes all the difference in the world. And, and these three main points that we're going to go over this morning, this is, these are the keys in how you get to that point of being in a position to be called out as far as now you're, you've been given uh, the, the details from the commander-in-chief and now you know the mission. But it starts with this. Conviction. Conviction is essential to a transformed life in Jesus Christ. You see, we should all be able to clearly remember when we were confronted by Jesus Christ and how our lives were radically transformed and changed. There should be no doubt about it. Everyone in this room who has truly received Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord knows that moment in time, I don't care if it was 45 years ago or if it was two minutes ago, when that conversion took place, when that conviction came upon you and you knew, Clearly, something has radically changed in my life. I have experienced the risen Christ in a way I never have before in my life. And I will no longer be the same. You see, it starts with your own version of the Damascus Road experience. That initial conviction of, I am guilty before a holy God. And I know it. And there's, there's no amount of money I can throw at it. There's no amount of, of wisdom or charisma I can you know, express to wiggle my way out of the fact that I am before the true and living God. And I know that I am naked and guilty before Him. That He sees everything. We were singing about that in one of those songs. Talking about, you know my shame. You know my failures. But yet you still call me friend. You have to have that initial experience, that fact that you understand that you under no circumstances can save yourself. You have to come to the end of yourself. Amen. You have to in order to be converted. This conviction, this initial conviction must take place. You see, without this key element, you and I will ignore that tug on our heart that knock on the door and we will be unable to be saved. If we're wondering why 
Why are there people in my family that they just are, they're not saved. I share with them all the time. They're not, they're refusing Christ. They're not accepting Him. I thought it would have happened already. Hear me clearly. I am not saying that there is no hope for them. What I'm saying is they have not yet come to the end of themselves. <laughs> I, you know, I meet with the men on Thursday nights on Zoom and, you know, we had this conversation and it was just what one of the men was sharing and how he's talking about, yeah, you know, this guy at my work and I'm sharing with them and he's going through this and going through that. The wife's changing the locks and he's getting thrown in jail and he keeps saying that he's found Christ, but he goes back to the same thing and he says something so profound. He said, until you come to the end of yourself and there's nothing less and you look up and it's just Jesus that is when you're ready. He said, you're not broken. And I just laughed. I laughed because I look back on my own life. And I know exactly when that time happened. When everything that I thought I was and I had built up to be my, my identity and my character and who I was in life. 17 years of pouring money, blood, sweat, and tears into this whole ideology that I was trying to live out. And the Lord stripped me of everything everything. He said, I don't care about these tattoos on your body. They don't mean nothing to me anymore. All these things. He said, you are not that person. He had to strip me of everything. Bare bone to where it's like, okay, Lord, (laughs) I guess we're starting over. And I'm talking about friends, associates, everything. All right, Lord. But that's where we need to be. This is what happened to Paul. This is what happens to every believer. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that it has to be so intense, but it's going to be authentic. Because I don't care if you're a gangster or if you're, you have a doctorate degree. I don't care if you're a crackhead, a prostitute, or someone who's a supreme judge. And you've never had a red strike or a stripe on your life or on your record. You are going to have an authentic encounter with Jesus Christ if it's real. And conviction plays an essential role in that. The second main point is this. After the initial conviction, and you being willing to receive that conviction, because you see, sometimes we refuse the conviction. We say, ah, I am not hearing that right now. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear it. We see the world all day long. They don't want to hear it. That's a dangerous place to be when we refuse to receive the conviction that is given as a gift to save one's soul. Humility, receiving the free gift of salvation, this follows that conviction. This, this, this free gift that Jesus Christ offers the world. As me and Sal were praying before, uh, you know, the... the, the, uh, the uh, <clears throat> The service started. Now he shared, man, it's just so beautiful how God, I know he's God, but the fact that he loves us, he loves humanity so much that he was willing to lay down his life for all of humanity. Willing to take on the form of a man to come down from his holy place and to die on a wretched cross to be abused and mistreated and, 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 and rejected by his own creation. That the fact that he loves us that deep. You know, what does 1 Peter 3 9 say? 
caused to, he's, he's, slow to, he, he's slow to anger. His desire is that, that none perish but all come to repentance. We know that, unfortunately, that's not the case. That, that there is going to be some that will be apart from him in eternity. But his desire, his strong passion is that every human being be saved, be conformed to the image of his son Jesus Christ morally. No matter whatever race culture, creed, you know, all that stuff going on in the Middle East right now, they have a little peace right now. And there's going to be more of, uh, of the violence that's going to come. We see it. It's prophetic. But, you know, Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, he, he, His desire is that these Palestinians get saved too. We know Israel are the called chosen ones of God. But He's not looking down saying, oh, you know, Nah, man, all, all these Palestinians in the Gaza Strip that are, you know, that are occupying Jerusalem right now, I just want them to go to hell. No, it's not, you know. You, you trace the lineage back. They all come from Abraham. All, 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 all the, the, the Muslims are. They're just, you know, when, when he did his thing with, with Hagar, right? But it's the same line. It's the same line. And God's desire is that, you know what, be reconciled. You don't have to worship false gods. You don't have to be at enmity with your brother. What does Jesus say? If it is all possible in you, make peace with all men. And so if the Lord is so willing, we must, as Christians, fight this battle on our knees and pray for all those in the Middle East, all these people in America fighting over race and this and that and all the nonsense that we're seeing, we need to be praying for people to be convicted and receive this free gift of salvation. We must heed the works of Jesus Christ. We must renounce our pride and humble ourselves before Him. You see, this comes in the form of accepting His free gift of salvation that's what it is you are actually living out humility if you said man okay (laughs) it's your way (laughs) i receive it i accept it please give it to me you know sometimes you see people when they're praying a lot of times i'm doing this you know and that that's that's surrender that's what that that's symbolism for surrender but when you see people like this they're receiving They're receiving what God has for them. And if you ever find yourself in that posture or or in your inward self, you're like, okay, God, I'm receiving it. If you're real, give it to me. Give me the salvation that I desperately need. But that is humility lived out. But you see, many times we think we're fine and we don't need help. This just cracks me up. I laugh because, you know, I, I can find myself guilty of this. And this is not just a male problem, but it pops up a lot of times with men. All right. Question for you men. <laughs> are, are, you, are you the kind of guys that when it's time to put something together, <laughs> I don't need these instructions. It's time to put together a bed frame or it's time to put together, uh, you know, a table. And you're like, I don't need this. I'm a man. I know tools. I'm just going to do it. I, I once heard a message from Tony Evans, and it was so funny. He's talking about, you know, he's, he's got a doctorate. He's got all these, you know, 
initials after his name, and he was in the garage, and he was putting together a bike for one of his children. And uh, his wife made a comment, you know, about, oh, you might want to do X, Y, and Z. He said, oh, I got a PhD. I'm good. Well, you know, she came back three and a half hours later. <laughs> Handlebars all wobbly. There really ain't, there's nothing else put together on the bike. And she said, oh, extinguished one with the PhD. Maybe you should read the directions. I, I share that funny story because sometimes we can be like that with God, with spiritual things, right? We think we're okay. I don't need help. I got money. I got my wife. I got my kids. Or maybe I'm single and I got this nice, fancy car. And I got a good job. I'm climbing up the corporate ladder. We don't think we're spiritually sick. And we end up rejecting the only one who can save us. You see, so we must humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and receive this free gift of salvation. This is the power that transfers us from dark to light. That is the title of this message, From Darkness to Light. You know, and sometimes people get bogged down on that too. People lost in, 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 in the drama of the day. And, well, why is it got to be light? Why is Jesus got to talk about the light? Why I got to be white like snow? It's like, dude, get your mind right. You guys are hung up on the, 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 the most foolish things. You know, it, it's, I'll share this. I, I, I uh, you know, had uh, dinner with some friends yesterday, and, and it was cool because the Lord showed me. This is another thing to point, and it's, again, it's not, it's not boasting up this church body at all, but it's boasting up Jesus Christ. Because I was like, okay, check this out. You think about all these things going on and all the racism going on, you know, in our country and all this and that. I said, you know, I get it from back in the day why there were certain churches that were all black churches and certain churches that were all white churches and you got Latin churches and everybody, you know, they're all the same race. I said, if it's really a church of Jesus Christ, it could be all one race. And the minute somebody that's a different race walks through that building as a guest, they should be received as graciously and with as much love as all these people with the same skin color. If not, it's a den of Satan. And I said, here, this is a beautiful thing. I said, I didn't never want to be a pastor. I said, I look out into the crowd. I don't see nobody like my skin color, but I'm accepted. And I accept y'all. I wasn't raised in that way that it's like, yo, you got to roll with somebody like, because I'm mixed as it is. So, you know, for all you people that are mixed, <laughs> and we're all mixed anyways, I don't care if your skin is white or not, you got Norwegian or something else, everybody's mixed. You're going to be torn between, well, who do I side with? And the Lord quickly showed me because it's his church and he does what he wants to do with his people, how he sees fit. But I just thought that that was a cool thing because it's like, for all these churches that are like, well, we're, we only cater to so and you know, and a lot of that stuff comes from the South and the slavery things, and I get all that. But we need to move past that. And if people can't move past that, people can't say that they truly are following Christ when they're harboring this resentment and this hatred towards certain people because the way they look or because the class they're in or what, and all that stuff is just, it's just foolishness. God's just like, man, you guys, come on, get it right. Why are we stuck on this nonsense? But, but we see this kind of 
uh, attitude permeating our culture. Then see, our culture goes from uh, zero to 100. They have no, they have no balance of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So they say, okay, since you don't want people to be racist, we're just going to accept everybody and everything and whatever, whatever. And now you can be, uh, what are you, like a, a number when you're saying I'm, I'm, I'm no sex at all. And they just accept all this other crazy stuff. Me and Lou were talking about the other day when we were fellowshipping with them at their house. And it's like, I get, yes, don't discriminate against, you know, people with disabilities, things like that. But you can't just go grouping everybody together when there's no absolute truth. That's why we need to be led by the Holy Spirit and how we deal with people and conduct ourselves in the manner that would be worthy to honor God. This next point is as valid as the first two. After we are convicted, after we receive salvation humbly... We are to live in obedience to the Word of God. Now this is only possible with conviction and receiving the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers. There's no way you and I can be obedient if we have not been convicted to the point where we have lost everything in ourselves and gained Christ. There's no way to live in obedience if we haven't received the free gift of salvation. This is why works, rituals, church attendance, church traditions can't save you. It can't. Your performance does not give you merit to be saved. It's a byproduct of your heart being radically changed by the true and living God. And that's what I'm saying again about short accounts with God. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You should be able to see benchmarks in your life. These things accommodate me to show me I am living for God. Right? It's, it's just, it just blows me away. I'm just so, I, 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 it's, I'm blessed to, as the days go on, become more and more passionate for Christ. And that's why I guess my preaching is like this. I'm not trying to be no southern preacher or nothing like that. I'm not yelling, but I am excited and passionate about what I find in the word. The Lord allows me to see these truths. Now, the, the main thing is now I got to apply these things in my life, <laughs> life right? But, but I'm still passionate about the fact that, man, Lord, you're allowing me to see this. I can see it for what it is. I can see the falsehood and all these other things, and I don't have to be duped. That's why I'll be like, you know what? Nope. Put that guide on. We're not watching that. I don't care you're not watching that. Yeah, that, and Michelle, I don't like that kid Ryan either. <laughs> Pray, for, <laughs> Pray for his soul. I'm like, don't spend all your time watching that young man, making him richer. You see, but when you have the proper framework or perspective of who Jesus Christ is and who you are in Him, you can live a lifestyle of obedience before God and men. And you can enjoy it. You see, when people say, oh, I'm going to lose so much. and I, You know, it's just a killjoy. You're telling me, I can't do this, I can't do that. They're looking at it from the wrong perspective. If all you're looking at is what you're going to lose and not what you're going to gain, your heart is not ready to receive Christ. Your heart's not ready. It's the same thing with forgiveness. If you are not ready 
to say, whether this person receives my forgiveness or not, I forgive them. You're not ready to forgive. You're not ready to forgive. If your forgiveness is based on, well, they better receive my forgiveness and it better be all good. That's again what when Jesus said, if it's at all possible with everything you can do, live at peace with all men. He said that because he knew there was going to be times you could do everything you could do to forgive someone and they still won't receive the forgiveness. But you see, when you're right with God, then it frees you whether they receive it or not. And you can walk away and say, you know what, I've laid it all on the line. I laid it at the foot of the cross and I bear myself. I don't have to deal with this anymore. I don't have to tug around the, 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 the pain of dragging this, this, this problem, this stubborn, broken relationship on. I've done what I had to do. I've done my part. It's the same thing with the Lord. It's the same thing with obedience. This is what we see in Paul's life after his conversion. These are key markers. And I believe this is why he was used in such a great way for the Lord. Because it was authentic. It was real. The conviction was real. The receiving of salvation was real. And the obedience was real. And it was seen through and through in his life. Not only did he make sure that his actions were correct... You see, he also opened his mouth. He also talked about Christ. It's a very delicate balance, if you will. You see, some Christians, (laughs) they make sure that their actions are aligned with the Word of God. Can't do this. Can't do that. I don't cuss. I don't watch pornography. I don't drink. I don't cheat on my taxes. I haven't committed an adulterous affair. They do all that stuff. That's great, but they don't share Jesus with nobody. They do all these things. They don't share Jesus with no one. They stay in their secluded little bubble, not wanting any contact with anyone from the outside world. Sometimes not even people within the church. Kind of like COVID-19. They just hide away. I'm saved, and I hide away. And then you have others that think they're the head evangelists of the church. I mean, they're out there with megaphones. You're going to go to hell. You better accept Jesus. And, ah, signs and everything. You know? But their actions are far from reflecting the life of Christ. They're just talking about it. They talk a good game, but that's it. There's no substance in the way they live to back it up. You see, we want to be those that not only say we believe in Jesus Christ and share Him with others, but there are clear, again, markings, indicators that our lives actually live out these beliefs that we so effectually say we believe in. Amen? All right. Now it's time to get into these verses. (laughs) All right. Verse 12 and 15, in this, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw the way, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? 
And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Paul here starts off his account with what happened to him, talking about his journey to Damascus. To this point, this is the fullest account yet that we have of his experience on the Damascus road. He noted that he went on his mission of hate and persecution with the authority and commission of the same religious leaders that now accuse him. They said, we sign off on this. Go ahead and do what you do. Convict these men of their sin of following Jesus. Paul says the first thing he noticed was, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Paul literally did see a light before he figuratively saw the light, this same light. You see, Paul went to Damascus extremely confident that he was right. And it took a light brighter than the midday sun to show him that he was wrong. The application is this. This light that he's speaking of is the light that is Jesus Christ. You see, the only thing that can cause a person to see the error in their ways is Jesus. Just as you cannot look directly into the sun... Because its rays will blind you. Were you ever that kid? They say, don't look into the sun. <laughs> I try to look into the sun. My eyes are burning. My head got a headache. They're just like you can't do that. Similarly, the light who is Jesus Christ is so piercing that he exposes everything about us before himself. Jesus is what? The Word of God, right? He is the Word. And what does the Bible say? The Word is like the sharpest double-edged sword, right? It cuts through the bone and marrow. It gets to the heart of the situation. That's Jesus Christ. When you truly let Him in, when you're honest with Him, He's going to expose it all. No need to hide it. Don't doll yourself up with no makeup. Don't spray no cologne. Don't try to get lined up. It ain't going to work. Because He's going to get to the heart of the matter no matter what. All Christians will have their own version of this Damascus Road experience. Meaning, before we become convicted by the Holy Spirit, we at some point were all confident in our own wisdom, our own talents, our own strengths, until we were confronted with who Jesus Christ really is and who we were without Him. Next we see how Jesus Christ addresses Paul. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Before he was converted, we, we know this. His name was Saul. He was most likely named after King Saul. This name in Hebrew means prayed for. Notice, though notice the language of Jesus. Notice how he addresses him by his first name. This wasn't some generic interaction between Jesus Christ and Paul. The Lord didn't treat him like some random number, like his life meant nothing, like he had no signal. Oh, yeah, you, you, on that horse, come here. No, he said, Saul, Saul. He called him by first name. He knew exactly who Paul was. The application is this. Understand that the God that we serve is not a distant God. He knows exactly who you are. He created you uniquely for His special purpose to glorify Himself through your life. Psalm 
Chapter 139, verses 13 through 16 tell us, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them that's that's just he knows everything that's his sovereignty right he sees the beginning and the end in the middle of the parade all at once he knows exactly what's going to happen he knows the numbers on your head he knows the hairs on your head if you got hair left he knows when you're going to pass on into eternity. He knows exactly the moment. And you're all still here today. I don't care if you're hobbling along, whatever it is, because he's still got an intricate purpose in your life. There's something that he wants you to do, and the main thing is to glorify him through how you live. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever and allow the people around you to begin to enjoy him through you through how you live, through your conduct, through how you conduct yourself before men and women. They truly will remember these things. As it said, you may be the only Jesus they ever see. Just like Paul, we must have this personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It's meant to correct us, to set us on the right course of life. You see, Paul was fighting the wrong enemy even though he thought he was right. Many times, we, you and I, we are warring against the wrong enemy. Nothing wrong if you have guns. But a gun ain't gonna save you. It may fend off somebody trying to break in your home for a moment, but there's a bigger enemy. It's not, it's not this physical thing. You see, many times we're trying to fight a physical war. But it's a spiritual battle that we face. As Christians, we should be praying all the time concerning the things that we are up against. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities and things of evil in heavenly places. This is what's going on. Prayer is an essential part of the Christian faith. You want to see breakthroughs? Pray more. I don't know who said it a long time ago, but they said the Christian's fight is fought on their knees. How many times do we get on our knees and pray about a situation? But yet we're trying to throw money at it. We're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. Get to praying and see God get to working. That's how it happens. How did Maria get miraculously get healed when the doctor's telling her, you need to go into this old person's home because you only got so many days. You ain't going to make it. Your oxygen level ain't happening. She didn't sit here bickering and fighting with the doctors. She began praying. She had people in her sphere of influence that were praying. And look it, she ain't got no oxygen tank. She's here. That's a miracle. I mean, that's, it's there. Are we aware of these things every day all around us that are happening? You got to tap into that spiritual antenna. It's the Holy Spirit. He'll show you. I'll get into it in a minute, but if we kick against the goads, there's your problem. Next, we see the folly 
of persecuting Jesus. This is what is meant when Jesus told Paul, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Well, first of all, we need to to know what a goad is. For the longest time, I had no idea what this was. And when I found out what this was, I was like, oh, oh man, Lord, forgive me. I'm all, my ankles, if I was an animal, my ankles would be all bloodied up because I'm kicking against this goad, just stabbing myself, wondering why, why is it not getting better? Stabbing myself. Goads were typically made from slender, sharp pieces of timber. They were blunt on one end and pointy on the other. Farmers would use the pointy end to urge stubborn animals to move. Sometimes the animal in defiance would kick at the goad. And obviously, you don't need to be a rocket scientist. If the animal kicked against the sharp object, what do you think happened? The thing got stabbed. Achilles all tore up, just messed up. It wasn't a good look. But these animals would be stubborn and they would use, they would do this. They would kick and kick and kick. And every time they would kick, it would stab them in the flesh of their leg and it would cause great pain. This is a a vivid illustration of what Jesus was trying to say to Paul. This is what Paul was doing to himself by persecuting believers. He was on, and he was, excuse me, in all actuality, stabbing himself, causing himself much unnecessary pain. The application is this. We, as well, whenever we choose to rebel against the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're just kicking against the goads. Sometimes you ever wonder, sometimes it is because you're being obedient. But when you are being obedient and uh, when you're not being obedient and all kind of hell is breaking loose in your life, it might be because you're kicking against the goads and you're not doing what the Lord's calling you to do. You see, when we choose to deliberately disobey the instruction of the Lord... We cause ourselves much unnecessary pain. Every time you or I hear that small whisper in our hearts showing us what to do, and we just say, nah, I'm not going to do it. We're stabbing ourselves with a sharp object spiritually, and it's hurting us. It's like the saying, how many, my mom used to say this to me all the time when I was growing up, how many times are you going to bang your head against that brick wall before you realize it hurts? You want to be bloodied up? Well, sometimes it, it sounds silly and it sounds pretty dumb, but how many times do we bang, banging ourselves, our heads against a brick wall? You know, that's, that, that's insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and thinking that you're going to get a different result. It's like it's not working. Do something else. Stop kicking against the goads. Submit. Humble yourself and submit behind the mighty or before the mighty hand of God and watch your life change radically. Amen. Amen. It's real. I'm a testament to that. I know the wickedness and the foolishness that I was entrenched in. The Lord said, stop it. Stop before I take your life. Next we see Jesus reveals that this whole time Paul had actually been persecuting him with the statement, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. These words changed Paul's world drastically. He immediately understood that Jesus was alive and not dead. He understood that Jesus reigned in glory instead of being damned in shame. He realized that in persecuting the followers of Jesus, he perse- he, uh, uh, the Jews, he persecuted Jesus. And he persecuted Jesus when he fought against the God of his fathers. This awareness of who Jesus Christ truly is led Paul to repent. 
You see, this was the transformation of mind leading to a transformed action instantly. It happened in his life, instantly. Paul lived a moral life, so he didn't have to repent about immorality, but his misguided religious zealous was what got him in trouble, and he had a wrong idea of who God was. But you see, today, many people are like how Paul was. This is actually the most dangerous position to be in spiritually. You see, because on the outside, due to religion and traditions of churches, people look the part. Like the outside of the cup is clean, but the inside is filthy. Or like a whitewashed wall, if you will. You see, he dressed the right way. He said the right things. He hung out with the right people, which were the Pharisees. But his heart at this time was far from God. He didn't know Jesus Christ or have an intimate relationship with him. There was no relationship. It was all religion. It was all outer exterior. Are you dressing the right way? Are you saying the right thing? Amen. Amen. Are you hanging out with the right people? I go to church. I go to a church service. I'm not the, I, I, I am the church. I go to a church service. That's saying the right things. Because it's not about the building. But are you far from Jesus Christ today? If that's you, it can change in an instant. That's what it's all about. The transformative power of Jesus Christ to change you like that. And snap you from being spiritually dead to alive to where you're just popping up all over the place. Out of your skin. Not a heretic, not all crazy, but it's like, man, I can't contain this. The Holy Spirit's got me on fire. All right. Next it says in verse 16, But rise and stand upon your feet. This is Jesus speaking to Paul. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in place and be placed among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is a beautiful thing. After all that just went on, this interaction between Jesus and Paul, Notice, Jesus didn't condemn him, though. You see, the whole point of Jesus confronting Paul was to correct him and to set him upon the right path, to put him on the right trajectory for his life. That's what Jesus Christ does for you and I as well. He corrects us and sets our lives on the correct path, the right way to live. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, excuse me, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God cares that much about you and I that He's willing to correct us. It's difficult in the moment sometimes to receive correction, is it not? But profitable for your life in the long term. The fact that he's willing. He could just say, whatever. You don't want to listen? Go. Walk to hell. Walk to hell. You'd rather respect men than respect me. You want the honor of men rather than the honor of God? Well, go to, go to hell. But he doesn't do that. He follows after you and I. Desperately waiting for an opportunity for us to receive him. You see, now that Paul had received conviction, correction... 
and was truly repented, he was ready to receive his marching orders from the general. Because Jesus, what is the next thing he says? He says, but rise and stand on your feet. Jesus called Paul to stand on his feet. Because it was like Jesus was saying, all right, now that you've experienced this, get up. Let's go. Got business to do. He got work to do. Today, you and I, we got work to do. Again, this is merely just the starting point of what Jesus wants to do in your life. If you come here and this is the end all of your Christian experience, you're missing out on the Christian experience. This is not it. This is part of it. This is not to be neglected and and by any means necessary. We are never to forsake the meeting of the saints, but we can meet outside of this building. We don't have to meet on a Sunday in this formal setting like this. It's really about what goes on, again, in our everyday lives, how we live out this Christian belief that we say we hold so dearly to our hearts. The application is this. Before you and I can be used to do mighty things for God, we must come to a point of initial, again, conviction, repentance, and correction. I keep repeating these things because it's easy to say, but it's a difficult thing to really understand and get. (laughs) Because many times we say we're convicted, but yet we go back and we do the same old stuff. Or we say, oh, I ain't got time for it. Have we really experienced this conviction and correction? Once that occurs, we will be ready to receive instruction on what we are to do next. But you see, if we haven't received instructions on what to do, it's probably because we haven't truly been convicted and repented yet. You see, many times people say, well, I haven't heard from God. Well, have you did what he already told you to do? I don't know. That's a no. So he's not going to give any more instruction till you do what he's already telling you to do. And many of us, this is in my personal life. The Lord's like, your wife, your children come before this church. Get it right. Don't be the dude who does all this for the church, neglects his wife and his kids, and then wonders why all hell breaking loose in your house because you're just doing everything else. And so I had to learn quickly, okay, Lord. You're not going to give me another vision or direction until I get this right. And it's a sanctification process getting right. It's not like I'm going to get it right in a year or two. But still, the fact remains, he made it clear. Do this. Your first ministry. From that, everything else will blow up. Actually, from here, and then everything else will go. But that's it. Sometimes we wonder, I'm not hearing from the Lord. Why are we doing what he's already called us to do in the first place? You see, Jesus Christ will not work through pride. He will only work through the humble. He says again, For I have appeared to you for this purpose. The religious leaders sent Paul to Damascus for a purpose of condemnation, and they gave him the commission to do it. Now he has to make a choice because he's been confronted with Jesus Christ. What does he do with Jesus? Does he follow the path he's been on, or does he follow Jesus? The application is this. When we have our own Damascus Road experience, we will need to make a choice. Will we follow after Jesus or go our own way and follow after the world? Next, he says, For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness. You see, Paul was commissioned to be a minister, which means he was to be a servant of the things which he had seen and of the things which Jesus would yet reveal to him. The commission of a Christian is not to make up the message or to have his testimony serve himself. He is called to serve the message, the message of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ. 
to make you a minister and a witness. Paul also was called to be a witness of these things. The commission of a Christian is not to create an experience or create a message, but to witness and to express this, what you have experienced in the Word of God. You see, unfortunately, we see a lot of this today where people are making up what they want the Bible to mean instead of allowing the Word of God to speak for itself. It's liberating for me as a pastor to know that I don't need to recreate the wheel. I don't have to come up with catchy slogans or, or some form of being, you know, hip or cool. I just have to share the Word of God simply for what it says. I have one more port, and we're going we're gonna to go ahead and, and close. So as the worship team comes up, I'll, I'll hit this last portion. God bless you, and we will wrap up this message next week, Lord willing. He says next, to whom I now send you to, to open their eyes spiritually. You see, Jesus described the work that Paul would do. At that moment on the road to Damascus, Paul was blinded by the great light from heaven. You see, his eyes were not yet open physically, but Jesus sent him to open the eyes of others, both Jews and Gentiles alike. Jesus then told Paul there would be four results that would come from opening of their eyes. The first one is this, that they would turn from darkness to light. The second would be, they would be turned from the power of Satan to the power of God. The third is that they would receive forgiveness for their sins. And the fourth is they would receive an inheritance among God's people. That's a beautiful thing, to receive an inheritance amongst God's people. What do you want to receive from God today? Do you want forgiveness of your sins? Do you want to be in a place where you can receive that inheritance? You know, we're not to live as beggars on this earth. You can enjoy life. You can enjoy the things of life and still live with integrity in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to be miserable, but He wants you to steward whatever He's given you well. But again, this only happens with conviction, receiving the free gift of salvation, and obedience in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for Your timing. Thank You for Your control of the situation. You give us exactly what we need, when we need it, how we need it. Lord, may you help us to be those that have that true Damascus Road experience. May we truly be convicted of our lives before we knew you. May we truly receive this free gift of salvation. And Lord, may you give us in the power of the Holy Spirit the ability to live out an obedient life before you. Father, we thank you for continually giving us what we don't deserve and giving it to us in full. Father, we thank you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.